Today is Pentecost Sunday, and um, it's, uh, it's also the long weekend, so I'm not going to skip Pentecost Sunday because it's a long weekend. So Pentecost Sunday is today. Now, uh, there were three, let me just get right into it, so, because um, I know you, you know, all you people have to rush off to your cottage today, so yeah, you get out early. Why are we always in a hurry to go nowhere? You ever wonder that? I don't know why. Well, you're going nowhere, you're just going home, just take it easy. Yeah, but anyway, uh, um, there was three great events that happened in the New Testament. There was lots of, uh, but I mean three big, sort of uh, massive, world-changing events that happened in the New Testament. The first was the birth of Jesus, that the Savior is born. Uh, The second is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we remember both those events every year by Christmas, of course. We remember as as, uh, the coming of the Lord, and Easter, of course, is the time of year when we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to know today that there was one more that a lot of the church misses, and for the life of me, I don't know why. I don't understand it, but, but it, it, it seems to get missed, and we shouldn't miss it. The third event beyond the birth and the death and resurrection of Jesus is the giving of the Holy Spirit. It is the third big event that happens in the New Testament. It makes everything possible. He he is the juice. He's the gas. He's the guide. He's the comforter. He's the one that makes it all happen. The church was born on the day that the Holy Spirit was given. The church doesn't exist. We can't function. We can't do what Jesus commanded us to do if he didn't send the Holy Spirit. This is how important it is. He's still with us. He's still with us. He's right here now. Right here now in this room. It is the third giant event in the New Testament. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter and we really should take the time to remember and, 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 and uh, to just glean whatever we can glean from the day of Pentecost. Could you imagine me getting up here come, you know, maybe late November and say, yeah, this year we're not going to celebrate Christmas in the church. We're not going to put any decorations up. We're not going to mention it. We're not going to have any special services. We're just going to like, you know, like, like, uh, what's that guy's uh, Grinchy stuff, you know, like just it's all gone. Doesn't exist. I thought of you when I said Grinchy is I knew you'd know cartoony stuff. <laughs> but it hit me. You didn't have to save me there. But but so imagine it wouldn't make any sense. You'd look at me and go, have you lost your mind? Right. What do you mean? Don't celebrate Christmas. It's a huge thing. And then again, uh, Easter rolls around. I go, yeah, we're just going to skip Easter. Have you lost your mind? This is what would happen. Why do we do it to the third greatest event that happened in the New Testament? This is important. I'm just just camping here for a second to say, I want you to get this, that this is a significant moment 
in the New Testament and in the life of the church moving forward. So it's an important day. All three of these days are actually central to our faith and they're central to the plan of God. If one of them is taken out, then everything is messed up. All three are vitally important. So the day of Pentecost, it's one of the three great Jewish celebrations. We didn't make up the day of Pentecost, by the way. The day of Pentecost has been celebrated by the Jews for thousands of years. Uh, look up Second Chronicles, um, put up for me, Second Chronicles chapter 8. It says, then Solomon presented burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar he had built for him in front of the entry room of the temple. He offered the sacrifices for the Sabbath, the new moon festivals, and the three annual festivals, the Passover celebration, the festival of harvest, which is Pentecost, and the festival of shelters, as Moses commanded. These were the three big, the big celebrations in the Jewish calendar. Uh, there were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They're called different things throughout Scripture, but we would know them as that. Passover, Pentecost, and, and Tabernacles. Now, Pentecost means 50. It actually, that's what it literally means. It means 50. And what that, all that is saying is, is that Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. So this is the, we, we celebrate Easter as our Passover, right? The, the, uh, the giving, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So 50 days after Easter is the day of Pentecost. And it still really follows that calendar even, even now. When you, you count back 50 days, you'll, you're pretty much right on Easter. So this is, it's still something that we follow. 50 days after Passover comes Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a celebration. It was a harvest celebration. That's why you see the word harvest uh, in Chronicles. It was a time when uh, everybody got the day off. By the way, it was a holiday. Woohoo! Right? Just like, sort of like quasi today. But it was like a holiday. It was a time when people didn't have to go to work. They, all, the, all the Jews from all the surrounding area would flood into Jerusalem. The population there would explode. And they would, it, was, it was just a great time to get together with family and friends and uh, it, it was kind of like, in a, in a way, what we do on Thanksgiving Day. It was, a, it was a harvest celebration. It was a time that they set aside to thank God for the crops, for the grain, for the food, for the blessings that he had poured into their life. And Pentecost was sort of like that. And it was, I was thinking this week, it's no mistake, no mistake, that the Holy Spirit comes on harvest day. Just think about that for a second. He comes on the harvest celebration. It's this great holiday. Everybody's thankful. You know, uh, God had provided all these things. And then uh, Jesus had left these instructions to the disciples. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. This is what I want you to do. But don't go. He said, he specifically said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't try to do it without him. You won't do it without him. You have to have him. So Jesus, so get this timetable now, 50 days, right, after Passover. So for 40 days, you know, we're going to read it in a second, but uh, in fact, you know what, Why don't I don't need to tell you, I'll just read it. So 
here's the point I'm trying to make. He's the only way, the Holy Spirit is the only way we're going to see the harvest of souls that God has asked us to participate in, right? So the Lord never does random, right? There's always a reason. And so on the day of Pentecost, the celebration of harvest, he sends the Holy Spirit to equip the church, to start the church so that they can begin the process of harvesting people and spreading the message of love and goodness and the good news of the gospel. And so he comes on harvest day. And I thought it was so fitting that Holy Spirit shows up on the day of harvest. So here's the setup to the story. Put up for me Acts 1, 3 to 9. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he's talking about Jesus, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So here's what goes on. For 40 days after Jesus rises from the dead, he appears from time to time to the disciples. He showed up, the Bible says, to well over 500 people. He comes and he goes and he comes and he goes. He has lunch with them one day or breakfast with them one day. Like, he just comes and goes for 40 days. And then on the 40th day, he, they watch him leave. They said they watch him as he goes up into the clouds they, and they, until they couldn't see him any longer. And so... This is 40 days. So this is, this is really the timetable. So for 10 days, they go into Jerusalem and they begin to gather together to pray. He said to go, but not to go until the Holy Spirit came. Imagine for 10 days, what is the Holy Spirit? I don't know. What are we going to know? What is he going to do? How's he gonna, how are we going to know if he comes? I don't know. Like they're, but okay, Lord, it's you. So for 10 days, they're talking and praying. And finally, on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up on the harvest day. So all the believers are there in Jerusalem waiting and praying together for the 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them. Now, here it is. Here's how it actually happened in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house while where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Just imagine. 
So it's, it's harvest weekend. Everybody's in Jerusalem. The place is packed. There's uh, uh, later on in Acts chapter 2, it says there's, there was uh, people, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus. Uh, uh, there was Cretans. There was Arabs. There was people from Rome. There was people all over the place there. And they hear something. And they come running, and then all these people pour out of, the, of this room that they were gathered in and begin to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gives them the ability. And these people from all over the place were hearing them in their own language. Could you, could you imagine? Just imagine how, how wild that would be. Like, seriously, cr- just crazy, crazy. These are like crazy fishermen who know nothing about anything. He can barely speak Hebrew. And now he's speaking like perfect whatever, the, you know, my language is. And, and then this guy's speaking this language and she's speaking this language and he's speaking this language and she's going off in this language. And they're all hearing them in the language, in their own, in their own home language. You know, if it happened today, how many languages? Well, I know we got Italians here. So... Someone to be up here speaking Italian. Now, there's so many weird dialects. I don't know about it. You'd have to figure that out, depending on if you're south or north or where you are. I don't know. But, I mean, who, you know, there's people here who speak French. There'll be people here who, you know, like, just think about it. This is, this is the issue. All of a sudden, these people come out. They have no training. They have no language. They, they know nothing but their own language. And all of a sudden... They're speaking dozens of languages from all over the world that there would, there would be no chance of them knowing. And everybody there is hearing them speak in their own mother tongue. It's phenomenal. It's just a phenomenal story. So the church is given the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just, uh, uh, just say a couple of things about that. When the Holy Spirit arrives here in Acts chapter 2, there was two things I, I was noting this week. There was an audible sign and there was a visible sign that, uh, that, that were very obvious when the Holy Spirit came. It says, verse 2 says, there was suddenly a sound. Come on, you know it. There was suddenly a sound of a mighty wind, Right? I don't even know if there actually was a wind, but there was the sound of a wind. I've actually wondered if there was a wind or just the sound of a wind. But just think about, remember the windstorm we had a few weeks ago? Okay, you know how the wind sounds when it's strong. Imagine you hear that and you go outside and there's no wind, but you just hear the sound. I don't know what happened that day, but it was enough that people from all over Jerusalem heard the sound and came running to the point to the to the to the place where they, they felt it was like coming from. And they were they came. It says, suddenly there was the sound of a mighty wind. It wasn't normal wind, it was this supernatural sound. And by the way, I love the word suddenly. It actually blesses me. You know why? Let me, let me help you with this, okay? Be blessed with me, okay, along with me. 
You know why the word suddenly is awesome in this moment? Because your world can look one way. And God shows up and in a moment, things are different. Suddenly, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The men and the women in that room that day are suddenly changed, right? The Holy Spirit can give us a suddenly moment. Honestly, how many could use a suddenly moment right now? Seriously. In your family, your kids, your life, your bank account, right? Your job, right? Something in, in, in your life. Like, I, I could use a sudden change, Lord. Blow, Holy Spirit, blow, right? But suddenly there was the sound of a mighty wind. And everybody in that room, everybody in that, in that city almost hears it and comes rushing to see what in the world is going on. And the men and the women in that room were suddenly changed, suddenly changed. The visible sign was flames, tongues. It said looked like tongues of fire. I don't even know. What does a tongue of fire look like anyway? I've imagined for years... Is it a shape of a giant tongue that comes out? Or like, how, why did they say tongues of fire? I don't know what it looked like, but, but, but something about it, you know, they were trying in their own way, trying to describe what they, ha- what, what they were seeing. There was flames or tongues of fire that appeared, it said, and settled on each person in the room. Each person in the room. Again, it's not a normal fire. Nothing is burning like in that sense. But there is definitely something supernatural going on, right? It is the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now, fire has been a symbol of God's presence right from the beginning of time. It's always been that way. It's, it's in the Bible many, many, many times. Think about Moses and the burning bush, Right? that he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so he goes, man, that is weird, right? So he hikes up the mountain to see what what in the world's going on. And as he stands there, God says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he encounters God through the burning bush. Fire, right? has been a symbol of his presence. Imagine, remember when the Israelites were being led out of Egypt. You remember, by day they were led by what? A cloud. And by night they were led by fire, right? Everywhere you went, you saw, saw, visible sign of the presence of God. As a child, as an Israelite, everywhere you went, all you had to do was look up and you saw. He's with us. He's with us. Morning, noon, and night, he's with us. There he is right there. Fire has always been a symbol of his presence. Uh, In fact, here's another one in uh, Solomon dedicating the temple in Chronicles. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up all the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. 
He dedicates his temple, he says his prayer, and fire falls from heaven, and the presence of God fills the place in such a strong way that they can't even enter the doors. I'm in for one of those. We'll have church out in the parking lot one day. Fire, think about it. Why did he send these two signs? The audible sign gets people's attention. The visible sign reminds them all of the presence of God. Fire, it refines, doesn't it? When you put the metal in fire, it gets better, not worse. Fire, it spreads. It, it transforms everything it touches. It, it's, it's a powerful force. And the fire of the Holy Spirit does the same thing. You get his fire in you and on you and you can be that small flame that triggers a big fire. Amen? That was weak, right? Come on now. You get get his fire. You get his fire where you're suddenly transformed. Then all of a sudden your possibilities explode. Right? Because now he's with you. Now he's on you, he's in you. Now, who knows what can take place? This is is what the Holy Spirit does. You can be a difference maker. You can overcome the addiction. You can overcome the bad relationship. You can overcome the baggage and the hurts and the wounds and the issues that we all carry because of the fire of the Holy Spirit. It can only be done by him. No doctor can, 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 can solve things. Sometimes there's things in us that are, are, are just too deep that we need something supernatural to help us overcome. Yes, we go to doctors. Yes, we get all the help we can. But sometimes, you know, there's issues in our lives where we just need a miraculous touch of the Holy Spirit. People have baggage that he can solve. And this is it, that we have the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened to the believers that day in Acts chapter 2. I wanted to put out this scripture because I really found it uh, interesting. Look at Leviticus uh, chapter 6. It says this, meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. But remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. Say this with me. It must go out. This is fire that had fallen from heaven. God blasts this blast of fire down onto the altar. And now he says to Moses and to the Israelites, this fire that I just sent you must never be allowed to go out. Think about that in our our time. The fire that fell from God was never allowed to go out. We have received the fire of the Holy Spirit So guess what our job is? We must keep it burning. We must never let it go out. 
We must never quench it. We must never resist it. We must never walk away from it. We must never think we can live without it. It is fire that must burn and always burn. And too often, the church gets a touch of the Holy Spirit and we think, well, that's good. That'll last me for 20 years. It must be kept burning we have been given fire and the fire must be stoked so the church is given the holy spirit second the holy spirit now equips the church to do what he wants us to do after jesus left the disciples are They're a bunch of cowards in a way. They're untrained, uneducated men. They're afraid. They're afraid of their lives, for their lives. If they killed Jesus, now they're thinking that he's going to come and kill me. Uh, They have no clue what to do. They are lost as lost can be when Jesus leaves. But suddenly, the Holy Spirit arrives. And it takes a bunch of fishermen. He takes a bunch of tax collectors, ex-prostitutes, people who struggled with all kinds of issues, and he transforms them into a mighty army of God. This is what the Holy Spirit did, right? See, remember, just think about Peter for a second. Just before Jesus dies, Peter's famous, you know, for denying Christ, right? You know, do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. Do you know him? No, right? He denies it three times, right? And now, after the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter is a much different man. Look at uh, Acts chapter 4. This is the difference. This is after they, uh, anyway, you'll get it. They, They brought in the two disciples, it was Peter and John, and demanded, by what power Or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, don't miss that, by the way, said this to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were, say it with me, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter just less than two months prior, was denying to a little girl around a fire that he even knew who Jesus was. And now he's standing up in front of government leaders and people who could lop off his head, telling him and threatening him, stop doing this. And he says, 
I will not stop. I don't want to read the whole story, but you, you know the story. You, you can read it for yourself. He says, do you think it's better that I obey you or that I obey God? So I will not stop telling people what I know, what I've seen, and, 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 and I am going to continue to spread this gospel with everything that I have. It's basically what he says. That's a pretty radical transformation in 50 days, don't you think? See, the message of Jesus becomes alive and powerful, but only with the Holy Spirit. See, we need that power. We need his power to go into all the world and make disciples. It's only possible when the Holy Spirit is with us. It's not by might. It's not by power. It is, come on, it is by my spirit, says the Lord, right? These things get done not because I'm smart, not because I'm charismatic, not because I'm influential, not because I have money, not because I'm a great con man, not because I can suck people in with a great story. No, life change, eternal life change happened. People get transformed only through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how it's done. You know this. I know a lot of you already know this. I'm just stirring it up in you this morning. We need them. We need them. And it's not by might. And it's not by talent. It's not by your power. It's only by the Spirit that these things get done. The Holy Spirit makes the church smarter. The Holy Spirit makes the church stronger. The Holy Spirit makes the church bolder. He gives us direction. He gives us purpose. He literally transforms us and changes us into something that we were not before. This is what he does. Listen. He turns us from Clark Kent into Superman. Come on now. I just felt that anointing right there. Clark Kent into Superman. Come on now. That's pretty good stuff. Who wants to be Clark Kent when you can be Superman? This is what he does. Well, we are our Supergirl, you know, whatever. Listen. This is what he does. He changes us. He makes what looks to be impossible 50 days prior, he makes it seem quite possible because these people can't be stopped. All people from all over the world are in Jerusalem that day. The Holy Spirit falls. They speak. They see people speaking in tongues. They hear the message of God. Peter gets up and speaks, by the way, what's said in the Bible, a long sermon, just saying. Read it for yourself. He says, says it's biblical, biblical, yeah, long sermon. So he gets up and he speaks this powerful Holy Spirit anointed sermon, and you know the result. How many people were saved that day? 3,000 people get saved that day. And then guess what? After the holidays are over, where do those 3,000 people go? They go back to wherever they came from, Cappadocia, Rome. You know, they go all back carrying this message and this change, and the church begins with the power and the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what happened that day. 
He turned people from Clark Kent into Superman. He turned Peter into that for sure. See, without him, it's like this. Without him, we can be like a, ro- uh, like a rowboat Christian. You know, and you can fight and struggle against the current, and you can make a small bit of progress with a whole lot of effort. Or you can be a sailboat Christian who just puts the sail up and lets the power of the Holy Spirit blow through your life to lead you and guide you and move you around and let him show you where to go and what to do. It's so much nicer that way. Who wants to be in a rowboat when you can be in a sailboat? And I wouldn't mind being right, actually right now on a sailboat. Just saying. This is what he does. People try to serve him with almost no power from the Holy Spirit. And we can be faithful, we can, we can trudge through life, we can, we can struggle to hold our own, we, 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 we struggle to overcome temptation in our life, we struggle to overcome sin, we struggle to, to overcome the battles that we face to get really any headway in our problems or in our issues. You know, this is, this is what we can do on our own strength. That's, that's a rowboat. But a sailboat catches the wind of the Spirit. You go faster, you go farther, you go much easier with him than you do without him. Come on now. That's just the truth. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, but don't go until he arrives because you'll never be able to do it without him. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You see, one other thing, I'm not going to get into it today, but I, 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 I maybe uh, I'm going to spend a few little weeks here on the Holy Spirit now. But when we say Holy Spirit, I want you to not to forget the first word, holy. There's, there's a refining process that he does in us. That he, he loves us too much to let us stay the same. He wants something to, to be done in us. You see, some people, some preachers, some people, we can go and we can be charismatic, we can jump up and down, we can scream, we can do all we want. But, but here's the thing. Paul said, I, I want it to be plain and simple and straightforward. I'm not trying to mislead you. I'm not trying to, to be clever or persuasive. I'm trying to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because when he shows up, this is going to be real. And he'll really change you and he'll really touch you. And, 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 and if I can be charismatic and persuasive and get you to jump or dance and, and fill an altar, it makes me feel good. But no eternal change happens without the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I, I could, have, could have told you great stories. I could have got great responses. I could have walked away and pumped up my ego saying, look what I have done. But he said, no, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I kept it plain and simple so that you would get the real deal. 
This is who we're supposed to be, who pastors are supposed to be, that we rely on his spirit, who Christians are supposed to be. We don't, don't, don't rely just on our own ability and our own talent. He gives us those things to use, but when they're anointed by the Holy Spirit, they come alive and they bring change to others. This is who we are and who we're called to be. Oh, I could say a whole lot more, but okay, we got to finish up here. But let me just say this. Tongues. Tongues were God's chosen sign for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The people in that room that day, they didn't imagine it. They didn't make it up. They didn't, they didn't pretend. They didn't know what they were doing. It just, it just happened. God showed up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and tongues were the sign that the baptism of the Holy Spirit had occurred. It just happened. It happened here in Acts chapter 2. It happens in Acts 10. It happens in Acts 19. It happens all over the place. That It, it was a gift that was given to the believers, and the purpose of the gift of tongues was given to strengthen the individual believer and to bless the church as a whole. Did you know that? It's meant for both. It really is, right? Sometimes we call speaking in tongues when you're doing it privately, sometimes people will call it a prayer language. They'll say, That's my, I'm speaking in my prayer language. A prayer language is just simply this. When you lack the words to speak on your own and you don't know what to say, you just let the Holy Spirit pray through you. And I know that sounds like spooky or weird to maybe some of you, but this is, this is literally what happens, that, that he speaks through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you look it up later, it, it lays out guidelines how we can effectively use the gifts of the Spirit. And he especially hones in on tongues and interpretation as very, very important gifts that the church could, could, could really use. He said, I wish you all would speak in tongues. But see, he, then he goes on to give some direction that in a public meeting, when tongues are used it, it, beyond just for your, own private, uh, for your own private prayer time, that when tongues are used in a public meeting, that interpretation should always follow a message in tongues. Why? Because it does the church no good unless we understand the message that God's trying to send to us, right? So, so when the message of tongues is given, then we must hear properly a message of interpretation so that we can understand what God's trying to say. So how, how, do, you, so how do you get all this? How do you receive this? How do, we, how do we move forward in this? Lots of times we talk about when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit. But this is, the, what this is talking about is a subsequent encounter with the Holy Spirit, a deepening, a, 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 uh, something that comes on you in more power and more fullness in that, in that sense. Maybe not fullness, but... He comes on you in a different way. It's like some people have said, you know, every Christian, you know, we, uh, the Holy Spirit is resident within us, but he is not the president within us, right? And when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he moves from just being resident in us 
to becoming the president in us. You can use that one later. Yeah. But how do, we, how do we get this? How do we receive? And I just wanted to keep it really simple so that, uh, so that you can kind of understand this. And I believe that these three words are key to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receiving just, just a fresh touch of the Spirit. If, you, if, if you've already been baptized, but you just need that fresh touch. And we all do, by the way, because we're leaky, right? We're, we're holy. I mean, not, you know, not H-O-L of a whole, holy. Yeah, right? He fills us, and it seems to leak out. Fills us. This is why Paul said to the Ephesians, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knows we leak, Right? So be always filled. You'll be filled, then you'll leak. Be filled, and then you'll leak. It's like, it's like free gas. Just keep filling up the tank, right? You use it up, and then just get free filled. Who could, I could use some free gas right now, but this is, this is it. This, he is our free gas. He is our motor. He is the one that powers us through this life. And so there's three simple words that I think would help to understand. Uh, faith. Seek and surrender. And let me just touch on this just for a minute each, and then we'll wrap up. These are the three words I'd like you to keep in mind if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you want to just receive a fresh touch of the Lord today. The first one is faith. Why I think faith is important is because we receive the baptism the same way that you received Christ, by faith, right? That we believed by faith. And so you receive the baptism the same way that you initially received Christ. You believe by faith. That's how it works. You believe that God wants you, he he wants to give you, I should say, the Holy Spirit in this deeper, more powerful way. You believe that he's for you, not just for others, by the way. I have found over the years, we were talking about the Holy Spirit, people will say, well, you know, the baptism or special empowerment or whatever you want to say, you know, that's for like the special people. But I'm like just, you know, Bob the plumber who sits in the back row, like I'm just a normal dude. And I go, Bob the plumber in the back row, this is for you. Right? Mary the housewife, you know. Whoever you are, it's for you. That's what the word says. It's for you. It's for all. That he, in, in the sermon that Peter preaches, he says, in those days, God will pour out on, what's he say? All flesh, right? That your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That old men will dream dreams. That young men will see visions. That he will come. He is for everybody. So it's, it's the same way. It's not you believe. Why haven't, Why possibly haven't you received? Because somehow you've disqualified yourself. And I'm I'm, I'm encouraging you today, don't do it. It's not right. It's not true. You're not disqualified. You believe by faith that he saved you, then believe by faith that he can fill you. It's, It's faith. It's important. You believe that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit here to earth to fill you, to guide you, to give you power to witness, power to transform your life. So just simply receive him. 
Receive him by faith. You've already taken the first step. Why not take the second? Receive him by faith. So the second is seek. Seek. And I think it's important because it's exactly what the disciples and the 120 were doing up in that room that day. They were praying. They were seeking God. They were asking for his presence. Remember, Jesus gives them the great commission to go into all the world, but then he tells them to wait until the spirit had come. They didn't know what that meant, but I'm sure they're up there thinking about it, praying about it, talking about it. They wanted, here's the point, they wanted what God had for them. They were going after it. They were seeking it. They were meeting in one place together saying, whatever this Holy Spirit is, Lord, send it. We want it. Come, come, come. We're ready. Come. They were seeking after it. There was a, there was a, a, a real passion to what they were doing. They were asking for it. They were seeking for it. And I think that's important, right? You get, what's the word, what's the word say? You know, you have not because, right? Why not ask? Why not ask? The third is surrender. Surrender. You, ha- you have to fully surrender yourself to the Lord. You have to give him your whole heart. You have to give him your whole life. You have to jump in to the pool. You know, baptism is a very interesting word. When it, he could have used a, 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 a multiple words, but I was thinking, Jesus said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting word. Think about when someone gets baptized in in water. They go under the water and they come up. There's no doubt from anyone in the entire room that they were baptized, right? You, You can see it, right? There's a change. They are wet. But he uses baptized. So I'm thinking... That means this, he doesn't, he's not looking for a dabble your toe in it. That's not a baptism. It's not a just stick your elbow in it or, you know, the water's cold, so I'll sit on the edge and just go in up to my knees, you know, like some people are doing up at their cottage right now, you know. Oh, no, no, baptized, he said. All the way in, fully surrendered, totally given over, completely coming up changed, baptized, he says. Jesus said that word, baptized. So you've got to surrender. You've got to give your whole heart to him. Surrender, by the way, opens the door for God to do things in your life. Surrender opens the door for the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was actually Jerry Vines that said, I've used this quote before, but it's a good one. He says, the average Christian is somewhere bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. And this is what he meant. He said, they've been to Calvary for pardon, but they've not been to Pentecost for power. And he says, this is where most Christians sit. We've been to Calvary for pardon, but we've not been to Pentecost for power, and we're stuck somewhere in between. When we surrender and ask, believe by faith and seek him, we can make it all the way to Pentecost. Faith, seek, and surrender are Key principles, I think, very simple to understand, but I think they're key principles to receive the baptism of the Spirit and and a deeper touch of God in your life. And I encourage us all today, would you please open up your heart? Would you, you've got nothing to lose and maybe just 
something so wonderful to gain. Open up your heart to receive what God would have for you. It was the Scottish preacher, his name was um, Alexander McLaren, and he said this. He said, we can have as much of the Holy Spirit as as, as we desire. He said, I truly believe that. He said, I think it's like this. It's like being let into a bank vault and being told that you can take as much as you want. Just imagine that for a second. You know, you need those khaki pants with pockets all the way down. Right? He says, you, you, you're let in. He said, it's like being let into a bank vault and being told that you can take out as much as you want. And if you walk out poor, whose fault is it? He says, the Holy Spirit. And the vast richness of the Holy Spirit is ours. And we can take as much as we want. And so whose fault is it if we walk out poor? Whose fault it is if we walk out without his touch on us? Let me wrap up with this. Luke chapter 11. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, now listen, here's the key here. How much more will your heavenly father give what? He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. How about we just believe what the word says today?